Welcome. You're listening to the Voice of Vedanta podcast from the Vedanta Society of Southern California. Visit us on the web at vedanta.org. Thank you all for coming. Thank you for coming back this evening, all the way back here. Uh, we are so honored. We are so honored of our very, very special revered guest. We're so happy to have our wonderful uh, Swamis here from our headquarters at Belarmont. Our headquarters are actually in India. They're out of the other side of the Ganges in uh, our place. There, our headquarters is Belarmont. And we're very fortunate that with us this evening is Swami Girishananda, who is the manager of Belarmont. So anyone who goes to Belarmont, first of all, will tell you what's heaven on earth. And the second thing they'll say is that you need to know the manager. So we're very happy that with us this evening is Swami Girishananda, who is the manager of Belarmont. We also have Swami Atma Priyananda with us this evening, the vice chancellor of Vivekananda University. He's well known for being a very dynamic speaker, and he's an expert on science. So he'll be speaking this evening. And we also have with us Swami Deva Priyananda, who is in charge of our training center at Belarmont. And accompanying them is our Swami, our brother, Swami Dhyana Yogananda, who is the, our, our manager of our Tribuko uh, Monastery. So we're so happy that we have this incredible lineup of a very holy man with us this evening. We're very happy. So please um, be as happy as I am. <laughs> and we'll first extend our welcome to Swami uh, Girishnada Maharaj. Please come to the podium. Sarvajiva Papa Nasa Karanam Bhave Saram Sikritancha Garva Basa Neha Pasam Indrisham Japitam Sarilayat Jena Deepa Jeevanam Tam Namami Deva Deva Ramakrishnam Isaram Honorable Convent Sisters of Santa Barbara Swamis and Brahmacharis present here, ladies and gentlemen. We are very happy to reach this particular center all the way from Hollywood today evening and enjoy the calm and quiet atmosphere of this place. All of us are discussing about this area so nicely started most probably by Rivier Swami Prabhuvanandaji Maharaj through his initiative this retreat center and also a center for meditation and spiritual practice has been started. This is a wonderful place and I am fortunate to be here in the second time. Last time I came a few years back with Swami Sarvodevarandaji Maharaj and spent one night here. Again, after a lapse of a few years, we all are happy to be here. I am thinking that regarding the spiritual matters, there are variety ideas and thoughts that is there in our scriptures 
and the scriptures of other religions. If we go through it thoroughly, we will come to understand that spirituality is a question that comes to anybody's mind, whoever, maybe the person, in some time in his life, this question appears. Human being had the potentiality of divinity, as told by Swami Vivekananda. So, it is quite natural that potentiality, it is inside, it is there, it seems to be concealed, but it does not want to be concealed. It wants to focus again and again. But somehow or other, in some days, in some particular country, in some ages, human beings are experiencing the call of the journey within. You want to go inside. God has given our senses. We enjoy and we experience the external world, but at the same time, we are not satisfied with this external world and its variety types of manifestation. So, our mind naturally has a tendency to go beyond, to go beyond this external world and enter into the internal world. So, there is a process and how to get into it that had been again and again experimented, the particular mind wants to go inside the mind and try to find out in depth what we human beings are. And this will become much more helpful if we get a lively demonstration of such souls who have the realization, who have the experience of that divinity that is there within his soul and all other souls who are coming in contact with him. These persons are called prophets or incarnations. They enlighten the human being and we get inspired to follow their path, their advised ways and his Generations after generations, ages after ages, whatever they have given to this world, the valuable advices, their utterances, their realization, all this inspire of the future ages. The world becomes complex, more complex, because of the development in various other fields, our dependence on God and supernatural matters is slowly, slowly getting reduced. In earlier times, what happens? There was no science and technology. So it is quite natural that we have to depend on some supernatural forces. But every type of our pains or dangers or requirements or necessities we are to depend on some supernatural forces. Present moment, at the present time, 
we see we have developed in the external world. So we require to think of that supernatural power is a big question mark. Is it of any necessity that we will try to find out the divinity within us as if the divinity is outside the world. But this sort of development or this sort of the present time situations that has come surpassing the other ages, it does not help that we shall forego the call of the within. It does not help us, it does not impair us. It will not fully help you to avoid the necessities that is very basically required in our human life from the childhood days to find out what is beyond, what is beyond mind, what is beyond intelligence. Everybody, whoever is present here, all of us are very much well aware of it. In the life of Sri Ramakrishna, what we see from his childhood days, this sort of question comes to his mind. And when he is going to have a little maturity, this sort of question, it becomes intensified and he wants to search the God within. That how it has taken shape, we know about his biography. He is doing the worship of the Kali temple in Dakshineshwar. And the question comes to his mind whether the mother Kali is just an image made of stone or it is living. It is an imagination, it is a pure imagination or that is not the fact. She actually exists whom we call God. That question, it comes to anybody and everybody's mind. But it remains there. It will not further proceed. But Sri Ramakrishna's mind is something very, very special where it does not stop only on that particular question which does not have much of intensity for the other people. So, he wants to search and search. And keeping hold of the image of Mother Kali, his search continues. After the temple is closed, he will go out in the forest in Dakshineshwar and alone sitting in the jungle, in the forest, sitting there, where nobody is there, in a calm and quiet place and searching for that divine, whom we call Divine Mother Kali. Like that, his every day is hankering for realizing the Mother. It gets so much intensified. For all other people, he seems to be a lunatic. He is not a normal being. Because people with normal tendency never have this type of tendencies will not be focused in that way to the public. But this is a peculiar type of man who does not, whose behavior and characteristics does not tally with other persons. 
he forgets his food, he forgets his drink, he forgets even his taking breath. Days and months and years passed. He is not satisfied. So he is searching and searching and searching. And it is so sincere and honest. One day, mother appeared in his vision and showed her, yes, yes, I exist, I exist. So, a sea of light has been come to, has come to his vision. It's an effulgence. We can call it Jyoti in Sanskrit. So that way, Sri Ramakrishna's first vision of God that he has realized. But he is not satisfied with that. And once at a time, he had the vision. He wants to have the repeated vision of the mother. Just like we see, we talk with each other, he wants to see the vision of the mother or the God. So that earnestness, it is increasing. He is not satisfied. And so again, he does not stop searching and searching. He forgets everything in this world. And mother gives her grace on Sri Ramakrishna. And after that, this is one part of his sadhana, spiritual life. By his own efforts, he had realized God. He had the vision of God. But there it does not end. In systematically, as told in the scriptures, he wants to practice. And one after another, his spiritual masters came to Dakshinesha. How it came, we do not know. He had not tried for it. They come by themselves as if it is a divine ordination. So they are to come. And when they come and reach and meet Sri Ramakrishna, they are surprised that he is here in Dakshinesha temple. And for that, they have got the divine command that you are to go and teach Sri Ramakrishna. The particular path of sadhana, just like in the path of Tantra sadhana, his Guru Bhairavi Brahmani came and taught what is Tantra sadhana and he is endowed with the highest realization of the Tantra. Like that there are other paths of sadhana. In Vedanti sadhana also, he has got the highest vision of Nidhikalpa Samadhi. In other paths of the Hindu religion and other religions, he has got the vision. And ultimately, why this sort of divine drama had been done in through his life? Because God comes in every age to remove the obstacles, to remove the cloud and darkness that comes in the spiritual world. So this time through his personality that will be given to the world. And ultimately he had got the divine command that you are to preach to this world. You have to remain in this world. Through you, people will be understanding what is true religion. 
and his name advice to the devotees or to the persons is the aim of human being is the realization of god and for that how to enforce is to be done what is the way to attain to that final culminations that we call the removal of the ignorance or doubts in human mind novels were discussed by him to the devotees and devotees come to know one after the other various types of devotees with various mentalities they come to shrama krishna and they got the answer and ultimately what happened shrama krishna's lifetime after that his words were so valuable and jotted down by the disciples and those were valuable assets anybody and everybody he wants to find out what sri ramakrishna told to the humanity for the future ages he will come to know because of those writings his utterances and these are so powerful that it changes the nature of a man in this age also the age of disbelief here also the man gets a thorough change and the path of love the path of discrimination and the path of work all the three are equally given importance to realize the divinity within human being so all the details are there and it has been elucidated by swami vivekananda and demonstration of those valuable precepts shram krishna's message that was very much required we see it is in the life of holy mother sarva devi by practicing it in everyday life i shall not go in details in that those things my next speaker will speak on these particular subjects i thank you again and again to give me an opportunity to be in your midst and discuss the spiritual matters thank you all thank you maharaj for your inspiring words i'd like to ask swami deva prinada to come up now with a report सर्वे सर्वे ओम शांति 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 लेट ऑल बी इन हैप्पीनेस लेट ऑल बी इन गुड हेल्थ ओम शांति 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 पीस पीस माय सैल्यूटेशंस टू ऑल ऑफ यू नंस एंड मॉन्स एंड ऑल ऑफ यू आर प्रेजेंट हियर this evening this is a privilege to speak here in this podium in the shrine in the temple in front of all of you the first visit here in the country and it is not a visit simply it is my pilgrimage so to say in india we say a place becomes holy 
because of the presence of the holy people. Tirthi Kulvanti Tirthani The vibration, it makes the place holy. When the holy man believe, they think, their vibration creates that holiness and it sustains. To me, this land is also holy to me, where Swami Vivekananda spent his days, his brother disciples, disciples of Sri Ramakrishna lived here and the first I landed in San Francisco. One of the brother disciples of Swami Vivekananda, Swami Gurunathitanandaji worked and breathed his last. So literally, he is here. That day, we were going towards Olema. Do you know about Olema? On the way, we stopped a while to a place, the side of the highway, the freeway. There was a small stream still flowing, tall trees still living. That was the place where the Pacific Railways once was moving on. Now it is used as a bicycle train. I heard that Swamiji camped here. He lived in tent. If the river could tell us, if the trees could tell us, they could tell so many things. How Swamiji lived, how he camped with his devotees, how he taught Vedanta, how he preached the eternal truth among the people. So certainly, they have the vibrations. It looks the trees are still meditating upon, standing still there. It happens. When the holy people leave, they spend their life for a certain cause, they realize the truth, what the Vedanta says. It is not simply dogma, not simply philosophy, it is not intellectual gymnastics. The truth should be realized. That the Vedanta says, that was preached by Vivekananda here. That truth is not confined to some particular races, some particular castes, some particular colors. It is free for all. Whoever wants to realize, he or she can. That is the truth. And when I will be visiting to Pasadena, I will be going to Chicago, that means we are on a holy trail. So this is a land where we have come as a pilgrim. It is a pilgrimage to us. I am fortunate. Here we know the land of freedom where Swamiji said about the eternal truth, the eternal religion. I remember in this morning we were talking in Hollywood Vedanta Society about Nivedita, 150th birth anniversary of Sister Nivedita. She was an Irish lady and 
dedicated her life to the cause. Literally, the word Nivedita in Sanskrit means dedicated. Nivedita was an educated woman and had many questions, lots of questions she had. After many years of Swamiji's passing away, Swami Vivekananda's passing away, she wrote one letter to Miss McLeod. And there she told the first cause why I made Swami Vivekananda was I wanted to know whether there is any truth in the superstitions, the dogmas, other things. Normally, religion to us is a set of rituals based on some beliefs. But are there any truth? There are so many religions, their divisions, the subdivisions, the differences. Are there any truth? The same question comes in the minds. This is not the new question. The same question was asked, it was thought in earlier days. Swamiji gave the example in Chicago address. The rivers, all the rivers, they move towards the ocean and gets united. Similarly, we have our different views. Ruchinam, Vaichitra, Rijukutila, Nana, Patajusham. They are some are straight, some are in very diverse ways they go and meet. The rivers, they take many turns. Our lives are like this. Our lives never go straight. From very boyhood, when we reach a certain age, we start understanding life is not at all a very easy thing. And it has its turns. Sometimes we find it will get lost, but not so. It will never get lost. Some way it will find some ways and at last it will reach its goal. We have to reach. That is the goal. We have to expand our heart. We have to realize our divinity. We have to accept. That acceptance, not tolerance, Swami reiterated again and again. It is not simply tolerance, it is acceptance. We have to accept. There are diverse ways, but realization comes within. We have to see the divine light. Sri Ramakrishna gave one very example. In these old days, there was no electricity, there was no electric bulb, there was a good lantern, and the wick is burning. What happens? The suits formed. It is on all sides of the glass. And again and again it is precipitating, condensed, dark, so dark, it seems there is no light within. It doesn't mean that light is not there. We have to rub it out. We have to remove it. If we start rubbing in, we if we start Removing the soot, gradually we will find, oh yes, light is there. Of course, there is dim light. Move on. Let us continue our struggle to disperse 
the suit within our heart gradually the light will become more and more it is not that light is becoming more and more it is not that light is becoming brighter and brighter it is already there full shine it was not visible and if we can do it then after a certain age after a certain state we will start feeling from within yes that divinity is there within us all of us be a small kid be a gentleman or woman be elderly ladies or men everyone what to say not only the human being but the creatures even whole world is vibrating with this divine consciousness whole world is the play of that consciousness if we can reach that state if we can feel that state of our mind if we can unite if we can connect with all in this world and beyond then the purpose of our life we will get a sense of it we will get a glimpse of it the truth why our life is otherwise we will i am born i am so and so i will doing such and such things i will die but what is the purpose of my life is it simply some job satisfaction is it simply getting earning money it is simply is the comfort what for i am working or i have some inner full feeling of our lives that question arises to every human kind every man woman in certain stage maybe after getting some blows maybe after good thinking maybe in some cases it happens it comes and we have different methods maybe working karma in a particular way so that it will dispel the darkness maybe meditation maybe some devotion but devotion or work or meditation is not the end these are the means to reach the goal let swami vivekananda sri ramakrishna sri ma sarada devi the others the ancient the sages thousands of sages who have realized the truth have showered blessings on us so that we can march forward thank you again pranams to all thank you so much david prananda for your, your very thoughtful words we appreciate that i would now ask swami apriya to come up and speak he is an expert on science and religion he has a phd in nuclear physics teacher of teachers sri ramakrishna who unlike other shrines of the ramakrishna mahavidyalaya societies his shining in his own glory all alone not accompanied by sarada devi or somebody they can the liberty so it's a privilege for us this evening to sit at his feet let us pray with the sages of your 
where teaching used to be part of one-on-one, as we say now, not one-on-many, the teacher and the disciple used to sit together and pray in the very beginning to the Supreme Being, whatever by whatever name called, for enlightenment, for awakening of intelligence, and above all, for harmony. Because when two people come together to study for a joint enterprise, the chances are after some time they develop some kind of a misunderstanding. Because human mind is so vastly different and unless people are in tune with each other, learning becomes impossible. So I begin with a small prayer which is well known. Those of you who know which chant with me. Om Sahana Vavatu Sahano Bunaktu Sahavir Yankaravahi Tejasvila Vadi Damastu Mavit Vishavahi Om Shantishantishantihi Arihi Om Tatsat May the Supreme Being protect us both, the teacher and the disciple, by revealing to us the true nature of knowledge. May the Supreme Being protect us both, the teacher and the disciple, by revealing the application of the knowledge for the good of humankind. May we both, the teacher and the disciple, strive together for the acquisition of knowledge and wisdom. May the knowledge and wisdom that we acquire be effective and illuminative. May there be no misunderstanding or disharmony between us all. Peace, peace, peace. I happen to study physics. The discipline of physics is so fascinating. I pursued it for several decades. And unfortunately, wherever I go, people ask me to talk about science. <laughs> I swayed into spirituality, and many people have been asking me, Swami, after having done so much of physics, why did you come to religion and read this rope and talk about spirituality and God? I tell them, it is not in spite of it, but because of it. Those of you who have been exposed to higher physics, particularly the turn of the last century, Einstein's relativity and the quantum theory, which was initiated by Max Planck, they completely revolutionized our idea of space, time, and the universe and matter. You can't anymore look at the world with the same eyes which you have. Physics, interestingly, is a science of matter. And the one thing that physics does not know is what is matter. All of us have some exposure in school physics. Remember the first day when you were exposed to Newton's laws and so on. What is matter? Matter is something which occupies space. Remember that? Then a kid got up and asked, sir, what is space? Sit down. <laughs> space is something which is occupied by matter. <laughs> we have a joke in India. You know, the televisions and the All India Radio, we have channel A and channel B. For 15 minutes, there's no program at all in the channel. Why? Channel A, the program said, as in B, 
And the channel B said, as in A. <laughs> so our knowledge always is in a cycle. This is what I want to drive home. This was spoken about by Swami Vivekananda. Swami Vivekananda said, the beauty about knowledge is we always go in cycles. To be able to prove the veracity of knowledge, we have to invoke certain principles from within the system of the knowledge itself. And therefore, we always keep moving in cycles without able, being able to prove anything. Some of you would have heard about the, the Gödel's theorem, which completely shook the idea of the formalistic logic. You've heard of Whitehead and Bertrand Russell. These are two great minds which formalized mathematical logic. Whitehead's book is so well known. And when the young boy came up with the Gödel's theorem, you know what happened? Whitehead's book never saw a reprint. This boy proved, the scientist proved, that there are certain true statements in a system of knowledge which cannot be proved or disproved from within the system. These are true statements but not, not provable and neither disprovable. God is one such statement. That God exists as a matter of experience to certain people. Unless you believe that these people are not saying the truth, you have to say that God really exists. Ramakrishna says, I just saw the mother, just like I'm seeing you. Either you should say he was crazy, he was lying, and of course Ramakrishna doesn't lie. We believe that he was speaking from his experience. Somebody says, I see you. I see God as in just looking at you and seeing you, I can talk to him. Then Narendranath Dutta, the young skeptic, countered Ramakrishna and says, have you seen God? With this question, he went to all the saints of that day. Everybody evaded this question. Ramakrishna straight took that question on. God, I have seen him. I have seen him as I am seeing you only much more intensely. And he added, I can show him to you. That is science. Science says every experience by everybody anywhere in this world at any time can be replicated by anybody else at any other time anywhere in the world. This is the challenge of the rishis of the modern world. The last words of the Kathopanishad of his Swami Vivekananda is very fond ends by the following punchline. Mrityu Prokhtam Najaketo Dalatva Nidhyametam Yoga Vidhyam Jagrasnam Brahma Prato Virajo Bhodvi Mrityu Anyopyevam Yovidadhyatmameva They wanted to give you the feeling and sound of Sanskrit. How sonorous and how elevating. This conversation, dialogue between Yama, the Guru, the Acharya, the teacher of the Brahma Vidya, the Supreme Knowledge, and the young disciple, Nachiketa, who was so eager to know, this taught Nachiketa two things. One is Brahma Vidya, the other is Yoga Vidhi. Vidya is science. Brahma Vidya is the science of Brahman. Brahman being the supreme reality, the science of religion. And Yoga Vidhi is the technology 
what we call in the modern times, science and technology go together. Technology is based upon science and it gives you the practical application of science. So Brahma Vidya is the science of Brahman and Yoga Vidhi is the technology. So this together is called Krishnam Yoga Vidhim. Krishna is total, what we call in the modern days, a holistic approach to the science of Brahman. What happened to Rajigeta? He attained immortality. He went beyond death. This is one question the entire humanity is facing. Problem of old age, disease and death. The Buddha based his entire philosophy on this. Whether God exists or not, don't worry about it. Are you in sorrow? No, sir. Goodbye. Religion is not for you. Come back when you're in sorrow. A time will come to all of us when we have to face sorrows quietly. So all the things happen in life which we don't like, and we can't take it. One of the greatest sorrows in the modern world, particularly in the Western countries, we age, unfortunately. I have such a beautiful hair and sounding gray. How do you prevent hair from turning gray? You may have all artificial means, but as Jesus the Christ said in the Bible, remember that in the Sermon the Mount? You can't turn one hair gray or black. It happens with the law of nature. You feel so sad. I'm losing my youth. Old age. Nobody cares for me. Disease. And finally, the fear of death. These are called existential problems for which no solutions exist within the sphere of duality. This was discovered by the sages long, long ago. In this sphere of dual existence, in this sphere of mortal existence, the worldly existence, you just do not have solutions to these fundamental existential problems. These problems arise because they are related to your very existence. You are born, the moment you are born, you grow old, if not now, later. The moment you grow old, you'll be afflicted with so many problems, diseases of the body. The first is your knee problem, your leg problem, your stomach problem, you have a backache, you have a toothache, all kinds of aches all over the body, and you have the mind aching. Somebody deserts you, you love somebody, doesn't care for you. And somebody turns his, his or her face against you and insults you in public. You can't take it anymore. That fellow, I did so much for him, but he treated me like that. We face it every day. So how do you handle these problems? Religion tells you, how do you handle these problems? No amount of science will be able to tell you how to handle these problems. Remember, science is being done by scientists. And every scientist, man or woman, is a human being. A human being doing science has to first take care of himself and herself to be sane enough to be able to do science. Professor Abdul Salam was a great Pakistani-born Nobel laureate in physics. In one of the conferences, he was supposed to chair a session and they couldn't locate him. They were searching for him here and there, slowly emerging from a corner. Said, Salam, where are you? We're looking for you. I was doing my prayers. You know, the uh, Islam prescribes seven days in a, in a, seven times in a day you have to do your prayers, namaz. 
Then all the other physicists said, Salam, you being such a great physicist, believe in all this? You know what Salam said? I am Salam, a human being doing physics. Who sustains Salam so that Salam will be able to do science? <laughs> so look at this question. Salam has to be sustained, Salam has to be sane, Salam has to be happy to be able to do science. Who keeps Salam happy? Who keeps Salam vibrant? Who keeps Salam in the mood to be able to pursue science? This is what does to me. And you may not like it, but there are so many things you do not like which I do. Please allow me to do this. <laughs> so we always crave rationality, but what is reason? Reason stops at a point, just like I said, about the Whitehead and the nodal um, uh, theorem. There are certain things which you can't really prove, but you can't really wish it away also. So this boy, the Chiketa, became immortal, went beyond death, and the last is the punchline which says, Anybody else pursuing the same paths, having the same discipline, shall also attain to the same result. This is the challenge. You try. There is a story, the incident which happened. All of you know that Meghnath Shaha was a great physicist from Bengal. He is famous for several discoveries. One of his classmates was Swami Nirvedananda, who became a monk of the Ramakrishna order, was a very close friend. Meghna Saha wanted to visit his friend. He came to Calcutta, where Nirvedananda has established a boy's home. Then he was teasing him. See, such a wonderful career, he was spoiled by this uh, hopelessly became a monk. What did you gain? Have you attained God? Have you seen it? Why did you waste your life on this? Can you tell me, demonstrate? In physics we can demonstrate and show. Can you show God like that? The principles of religion? Swami Nirvana did argue with him because he come up for such a long time. He said, you first please tell me, how did you come here? Was it very difficult to arrive here? No, no, I took care. In, the, in India we have what called what called rickshaw. A very inexpensive uh, mode of transport, where in a, a three-wheeler people reach you to certain places. Oh, is it so? Where is the person who drove you? Call the rickshawala. He's an illiterate person. You call him. Then give him some prasad. And then tell him, uh, Professor Saha, can you explain to him the discoveries of physics which you have made? He got quiet. How can I tell him? He doesn't have the background. He has not studied physics all his life. So how do you expect me to tell you the principles of religion? Do you have any background? <laughs> See, every discipline works its name. You have to go through a certain discipline. Don't say that religion doesn't require any discipline. This is very strange. We always think physics or chemistry or biology requires some discipline, some background. One has to study for 14, 15 long years to be able to enter into the post-graduation of physics or chemistry. But when you come to religion, you'll think it is just easy, you can enter anywhere. <laughs> Hard work is necessary, discipline is required, and you have to control your senses, and you have to long for certain things which you really feel are necessary for your sustenance. So religion has certain fundamental principles, 
science itself has. And science dealing with matter, a religion dealing with something which it claims is not matter, cannot ever match. This is one uh, a school of thought. It was Swami Vivekananda who first said in the Jnana Yoga lectures, I quote him, Religion and science shall meet and shake hands. Poetry and philosophy will become friends. This will be the religion of the future and if we, if we can work it out, it will be for all peoples and for all times. We are very fanatical about Swami Vivekananda's teachings. Not that we think everybody should accept it, but feel it has to be true. Ms. Josephine McLeod was an American disciple of Swami Vivekananda and she never claimed to be a disciple. She always was fond of calling her a friend of Vivekananda. She writes in the Reminiscences. We went to listen to Swami Vivekananda, the great Indian yogi who we did not know earlier. That man came and spoke. The first sentence he spoke was truth. The second sentence he spoke was truth. The third sentence he spoke was truth. I have been listening to Swami Vivekananda all my life and every word that he spoke was truth and nothing but truth. Something rings within you even without the logical mind coming into play. You listen and this is true. I feel this is correct. When you read the Bible, when you read the holy books, when you read the Gospel of Ramakrishna, when he says God is, God can be seen. Swami Gideshan was so beautifully summarizing. Ramakrishna's just four sutras, four aphorisms. God is, God can be seen, and realizing God is the purpose of human life. And if you didn't realize God having God this, God this precious human birth, so life is in vain. So these are certain axiomatic truths which they have realized and spoken about. And when you listen to them, you feel, yeah, this is true. How to do that? You do not argue whether they are true or not. The ring of truth is just there which hits you. So this is one important aspect of people like the religious prophets. So Swami Vivekananda says science and religion should come and shake and meet, uh, should meet and shake hands. What was he actually meaning? I will mean, deeply worried about this because there is a school of thought which says science is science, religion is religion, the time shall never meet. Why do you want to push religion? Even among the Ramakrishna order, there are some people who really think, why do you try to bridge these two? They belong to two completely different domains of knowledge. This relates to material plane, that relates to the spiritual plane. And from the material plane, you have to graduate to the spiritual plane. Then the material plane simply is left behind. But most interestingly, even a spiritual man has to live and move in the material plane. Ramakrishna also has to eat and move around. He also feels the pain, he also sleeps. So how does Ramakrishna manage the material plane always remaining in the spiritual plane? So you can't wish it away. The moment you get the spiritual realization, the highest will pass away, the whole problem is solved. But you continue, they claim I have seen God and then continue to remain in the, in the material plane, move about, and therefore there is something which particularly characterizes the realization of God. 
by which they are able to bring that knowledge of the supreme reality to bear upon the activities of everyday life. It shines forth at every point. How does it happen? This is one question that has always been asked me. I have not fully found the solution. When I get it next time, I will tell you. Because <laughs> <laughs> the process continues to on thinking, how can this happen? This is one question which is unsolved in Vedanta. The idea of the Jivan Mukta. Jivan Mukta is a person. Mukta is a free person. A person who has got freedom, the inner freedom. Jivan even while living. Now, how is it that a person who claims to have attained freedom and seen God continues to remain in the spirit in the ordinary plane and continues to see differences? Did not Ramakrishna distinguish Rakhal and Narain? He says, I see only Brahman everywhere. Then how do you say Rakhal is here and Narain is there? You should say the same Brahman everywhere, then you can't move about, you can't eat. But if you have to eat something, you have the cake and the cookie. The same Brahman is there in cookie. We say Brahma, 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 Havi, etc. That's a very high idea. But immediately come down and say, please give me this and not that. That's what we do when you eat. So there is some kind of a dynamics within this by which Jivan Mukta already is free. Although he is free, although he is fully realized, the blast of realization simply overwhelms him. At the same time, he is able to live and move in the material, ordinary, dualistic time. That's why some of the schools of Vedanta don't accept Jivan Mukti. Ramanuja, for example, would say, as long as you are in this body, you will have some place of ignorance. Otherwise, you can't live and move around. Shankara will say, no, ignorance completely vanishes. You know, what is the argument Shankara gives for Jivan Mukti? It's very interesting. It doesn't go into any uh, uh, logistic uh, uh, framework. He says, now tell me, who are the people who wrote these great books, the Bible, the Quran, and the Vedas, the Upanishads? Of course, people who have had realization of God. Now, if these books were written by them, that means even after realization, they survived and wrote these books. If you say that a person who realizes completely gets lost and doesn't come back, these, book, these books would never exist in this world. And therefore, to say that these religious books were written by people who have realized God is reasonable because these books would not have any authenticity if they are not written by people who have realized God. And therefore, in order to say that these books, holy books exist and guide humanity, you have to accept these great teachers of mankind even after a realization of the supreme reality were commissioned by the divine in some peculiar mystical way to live in this body and do good to humanity. Don't ask how and why. Because certain questions of logic cannot be asked with regard to the spiritual plane. So science, talking about the material plane, and the religion, talking about a plane which is non-material, coalesce at some point. Or a better word perhaps would be, one dovetails into the other. There's a place where um, in a novel, it is written, each idea dovetailing into the other with an almost audible click. Very interesting expression. P.G. Woodhouse uses this. One idea goes and dovetails into the other very so smoothly. An answer to this, a clue to this I found in the Taitri Upanishad. 
Taitriya Upanishad, one of the oldest of the Upanishads, talks about five levels of human personality. A human personality has been analyzed in the Upanishad thoroughly. The first is the physical body. All of us look at it. We see this. We dress up and we honor this body and we pamper this all the time. The physical body is called the Annamaya. They use the word self for the Atman. Do not think the Atman means only the highest spiritual Atman. Even the physical body is a kind of Atma. It is only Annamaya Atma. The physical level. The next level of the human personality is that which craves for food and drink. You feel very hungry. You want to drink something, you feel very thirsty. Which is the level of the human personality we ask for it? Is it a physical body? It can't be. But the physical body is matter. Matter can't ask for food and drink. It can't be the spirit, because spirit is beyond food and drink. So there is something in between matter and spirit which bridges them, which is the greatest discovery by the rishis called the prana. The prana is the vital force in the body, which craves for food and drink, nourishment, which keeps the body in vitality. Called pranamaya atma, the vital self. Then, beyond that, there's another, which is the world of ideas. For example, when you are tired and you go to sleep and dream, you don't have any idea of a physical body. And even the pranic body doesn't exist. Of course, you may feel hungry and dream. But it is not this, the body, which is the pranic body, which really craves for it. Sometimes in dreams, we have a good feast. In Hiroshima, we have feasts all the time. In Christianity, also, we have feasts of so many kinds. Suppose in the midst of a feast and if the dream breaks, you wished that you would have finished the feast and woke up. So that is only purely ideas. What do you have in dreams? The entire thing is a world of ideas. The mind is so subcertain what we all call samskaras are the inherent tendencies which are accumulated within the mind. The whole thing is only mind. You build the buildings, you have see a horse carriage, you have cars moving around, you have this class happening. All this only ideas and nothing but ideas. We call this Manomaya or the world of ideas, Manomaya Atma, the self of the mind. Now, from there there is a kind of a quantum jump. The quantum jump is you leap into something which is called that which is not the mind, but the innermost core of mind which is called the buddhi, is called the dhi, is called prajna, so many words are used in Sanskrit, which is called the vijnanamaya. The vijnana, if you intuit the vijnanamaya, you are in the spiritual world. Annamaya, pranamaya, manomaya, you are still in the world of science. Annamaya is a physical science, physics and chemistry. Pranamaya is the biological sciences, life sciences, which are much more subtle. Laws of physics and chemistry are much easier than the laws of biology. Medical people will know how difficult it is to treat patients. There is not one particular rule for every patient. Every human being, every being itself is unique. Julian Huxley is a great biologist, as you know. He makes a very interesting observation. The difference between physical sciences and biological sciences, where life introduces, consciousness is introduced. 
you can exactly predict the movement of the stars and the nebulae and the galaxies. You can exactly predict the position of the sun and the moon after 1,000 years by your supercomputers. But can you predict the orbit of a housefly or a mosquito? In Bernard, we have plenty of the mosquitoes. Mosquitoes, very clever fellows. And having drunk the uh, blood of uh, swamis, they have become very clever. <laughs> a mosquito is sitting there, and I know this fellow is going to attack me next. So in irritation, I go very carefully and then try to smash him. That fellow goes there and looks at me, now what? So can you predict where this mosquito will fly next moment? The orbits of planets can be predicted, but you just can't predict the orbit of a common host fly So life and consciousness introduce something which is arbitrary, which is non-linear, which is unpredictable. The quantum theory introduced this concept even in physical sciences, the idea of probability and unpredictability and uncertainty. So that is the biological science of the pranamaya, the third is the mental sciences, psychology, psychoanalysis and so on. That is the mental sciences, annamaya, pranamaya, manomaya. Their sciences stop and what you call religion and spirituality takes over. The moment you go to vidyanamaya, there is an understanding, there is an illumination, there is a flash of light within by which the entire cosmos becomes very clear and you see it in an entirely different light from what you saw it earlier. The Gayatri Mantra, most of you must have some exposure to the Gayatri Mantra, it's become very famous now. Dhyoyo na prachodayada dhi is the intuitive faculty of the Vijnana. It is called Buddhi, it is called Pragya, it is called Medha, so many words are used in Sanskrit by which you enter the spiritual realm for the first time. And beyond that, the Anandamaya, which is a macrocosmic counterpart of the microcosmic Vijnanamaya. So these are the levels. And interestingly, Taitri Upanishad says, each of these levels is being pervaded and covered with the next level. Tenaisha Purnaha, this is the word which is used. Tena, by that, this is being filled. Annamaya filled by the Pranamaya, Pranamaya and Annamaya filled by the Manomaya, Annamaya, Pranamaya, Manomaya filled with the Vijnanamaya, Annamaya, Pranamaya, Manomaya, Vijnanamaya filled with the Anandamaya. It's a kind of a telescoping kind of thing by which you can't separate out one layer from the other. So in this sense, therefore, I found out a small clue in the Upanishad, how science and religion dovetail into each other and the entire human personality itself is a combination of science as well as religion. When you are in the Annamaya, Pranamaya, Manomaya levels, you are in the realm of physical sciences, biological sciences and mental sciences, whose rules always apply to the life which we live. We don't need anything beyond that at the moment. The moment you enter into the Jnanamaya, you need the spiritual sciences and the laws of the spiritual sciences. And when you go to Anandamaya, you enter into the eternity. So science and religion dovetail into each other and both of them contribute significantly to the richness of your life. And you just can't live a life stationed only in the Annamaya, Pranamaya and Manamaya, however much you may think. Some people say we are very happy only food and drink. No, we need something beyond this. 
you're intellectuals, we want to study. Vedanta says intellectualism is not Manomaya. Intellectualism begins with Vijnanamaya, in which you intuit certain facts. Most of the discoveries, even in physical sciences and biological sciences, have taken place in the Vijnanamaya level and not at the Manomaya level. Several examples can be given. One famous example is the discovery of benzene by Kekuli. Kekuli was a great scientist who was worried about the uh, structure of benzene. Before that, we had the structure of all the various organic matter as linear chain, the methane, ethane, and so on. He was conditioned with the linearity, and he was very much worried it didn't work. Then he became so tired thinking deeply about it, and he fell into a kind of a, a dream or a trance or a stupor, whatever you may call it. Suddenly he saw a, a chain of carbon atoms in the form of a dragon, and the dragon opened his nose and was biting its tail. He said, ah, that's it. Cyclic structure of benzene. He recurs. And then says, the cyclic structure of benzene was revealed to him from the Vijnanamaya, we know. And the logical mind, the Manomaya, came later on and worked out the details. That's what we do. Several problems in our life get solved at the Vijnanamaya level. And we work out the details later on. The other scene was Ramanujan, the great mathematical genius of India. He used to write down several theorems for which he can give proofs. His great mentor, Professor Hari, he said, Ramanujan, how do you know these things are true? What is the proof? Ramanujan, proof? So I see that they are true. What do you say for that? What is the proof that all of you are sitting here? The proof is that you are here, that's all. <laughs> Our existence itself is a proof. There are certain people who can, can see through the existence. And he said, how do you write down these theorems? Who tells you? Sir, that's a secret. See, I have a goddess. Goddess of Namakkal. He belonged to a portion of Tamil Nadu. That goddess, the Devi, comes in my dreams and asks me to write down these theorems. I wake up and wrote down. Then Hardy said, this boy is a mathematical genius but hopelessly religious. <laughs> you have no answer. Science just does not have answer for certain things which do happen. You call them mystery, you call them mystical, whatever name you call them, but they are true. In biological sciences, you know the discovery of the double helical structure of DNA, Watson and Creek. That also came in a matter of intuition. So every discovery in sciences also came from the level of Vijnanamaya. And thereon, the Manomaya and the logical mind codifies them. So what I'm trying to hint at is, science has its own rules. And rule of one doesn't apply to the rule of the other. We should be very clear about the jurisdiction, even in sciences. Suppose you go to a doctor and tell him, I have a serious problem in physics. So please go to a physicist. <laughs> you go to a man of chemistry and uh, physics and tell him, so I have terrible stomachache, go to your doctor. Even now, even doctors have specialization and super specialization. Somebody went to a doctor, the, the eye doctor, and said, Sir, I have a terrible pain in the right eye. Oh, I am a left eye specialist, go to the right eye specialist. <laughs> super specializations are happening now, and therefore Vedanta clearly said, it's called Pramana. Shankaracharya has a full thesis on that in the Brahmana Yogurashad Bhashya. Commentary. There's a pramana. Each science has its own pramana, 
And the jurisdiction of that ends there. Don't extend it elsewhere. Don't use your physical science and the mental science and the, or the biological sciences to judge spirituality. Don't judge the Ramakrishna or Vivekananda's realizations through the rules of your science. In the same way, don't try to judge science from the rules of spirituality. The other way is also dangerous. So each of them have his own rules, rules of the game. And remember, they form one complete holistic picture and they serve the human being, which we are. So we need science as well as spirituality to be have, to have a completely fulfilled life. Spirituality alone will not do. We need the physical things also. Physical things alone will not do without spirituality also. So the great teachers of humanity, be it a Christ or a Muhammad or a Vedanti Rishi or a Vivekananda, Ramakrishna, Rama, Krishna, they have repeatedly said we need both. I just end with one quote from the Bhagavad Gita, the 13th chapter, second verse. We are talking about Kshetra and Kshetragya. Kshetra is matter, Kshetragya is the spirit. Kshetra is the realm of physical sciences, Kshetragya is the realm of spiritual sciences or spirit. There has been a lopsided growth in India, as Swami Vivekananda pointed out. We have been overmuch emphasizing the spiritual world to the neglect of the physical world. Therefore, we lost much. In the West, Vivekananda said, there has been overmuch emphasis in the physical world to the neglect of the spiritual world. And therefore, he wanted East and West should come together. The best elements of both should be harmoniously blended to have a new civilization, which he said is coming. When it will come, you do not know. But Swamiji was fond of saying, it's coming. About the vengeance of history, there's a talk in England. The vengeance of history will be upon you, it is coming. And one lady became perplexed. Swami, when is it coming? Maybe a thousand years since. <laughs> when she heaved the sigh of relief, oh, it was not imminent. Swamiji immediately said, what are a thousand years compared to the antiquity of the human soul? So it is coming. This new civilization, which is a combination, which is a blend, a harmonious blend of science as well as religion. Then the Bhagavan Sri Krishna says, Kshetra Kshetra Kyayor Jnanam Yat Tat Jnanam Matam Mamar. My confirmed clear view, the Bhagavan says, the Lord says, is that the knowledge of both Kshetra sciences, physical sciences, mental sciences, and Kshetra Jnana, the spiritual sciences, this is complete knowledge. So don't neglect the one in preference to the other. So we should have a combination of these two to be able to have life of fulfillment, life of enrichment, and a life of joy. So let us realize this truth within ourselves, be joyful. Ultimate is ananda is the ultimate aim. And anybody who has realized this ananda will be a source of joy and his presence and talk will spread joy. Life is so silly, so small. Life is so miserable. So let us spread joy and peace wherever we go. That's all the greatest contribution that we can do. I'm extremely happy for this opportunity given to me and to all of you who have been listening patiently. One of the greatest tasks of a speaker is to keep the audience awake. <laughs> Hopefully I have done that. There's a story of a preacher in a church. 
In the way he used to begin, the old grandma used to take a kid, grandson, and she used to go to sleep. One day the preacher got irritated, told the kid, wake up your grandma. Every time she does it, he innocently said, Father, you put her to sleep, why should I wake her up? <laughs> thank you. And then you saw me, Aunt Mapriyananda, I told you he was saying that. I told you so. We're very happy we'll be seeing more of him in the future. We'd like to thank all of you very much, revered Swamis, for coming here. We feel so happy when we make a pilgrimage, we go to India. And the source of our, the heart of our pilgrimage is Benamat, the highest holy place for us. So we're grateful that you brought that pilgrimage to us. You've been listening to the Voice of Vedanta podcast from the Vedanta Society of Southern California. Thanks for listening.